I never set out to study yoga. But when I did have the opportunity to explore yoga, I ran into the same problems that most people do after they've taken a few classes. I remember thinking, now what? I knew I needed to practice, but had no idea how to begin. How do people improve if they don't have time to practice or know how to practice in the first place? After many years of personal experience in teaching, I realized how easy it is to address this problem. So I wrote this book to share with you what has worked for me and many of my students. My yoga journey began when a friend of mine invited me to go to a yoga class with her. She was a geriatric nurse and had read some studies about the benefits of introducing yoga therapy to older patients. She was interested in the possibility of boosting the quality of her patients' lives by helping them improve their stability and lung function. To be honest, I wasn't really interested in yoga at that time, thinking it was a lot of new-age mumbo-jumbo. I envisioned a lot of hippies chanting while sitting in painful pretzel positions in a room stinking of incense. I did not think that scenario was for me, but I thought, at the worst, we would have a fun topic of conversation over a bottle of wine sometime. So I accepted her invitation. The class was held at a local arts center by a quiet woman who was just beginning her teacher training. She did burn incense, not so stinky after all, but there would be no chanting that day. Among the vivid paintings of local Southern artists, the afternoon came to life with yoga dogs and frogs and trees and geometrical shapes that felt exhilarating and liberating to my tight muscles. I became dizzy from my breath. At one point, I broke a sweat. This was not what I was expecting. I walked into that class a skeptic and walked out a student of yoga for life. I continued going to classes and began dabbling with yoga at home. I would try to recreate what we had done in class each week, but found not only was it difficult to remember the postures and sequences, it was also difficult to find a decent block of time to practice. Inevitably, the phone would ring. My husband would walk through the room inquiring about dinner. My dog would plop down in the middle of my mat demanding a belly rub. And shouldn't I be putting that other load of clothes in the dryer? After I started teaching, I heard similar complaints from my students. Seems that everyone these days is swamped with house stuff kids stuff, garden stuff, relationship stuff, in-law stuff, with no time left for yoga stuff. A couple of years passed, and I had not been able to give any better advice to my students than just keep trying to set aside 15 minutes a day. And honestly, with a full-time job and teaching several yoga classes a week, I barely had time for my own practice it was becoming more and more difficult for me to follow my own advice. Then one day, I began to realize that my yoga practice had started sneaking up on me away from the mat. I would find myself in mountain pose while standing in line at the grocery store. I would automatically go into a seated twist if I had been at my desk too long. I instinctively altered my breath any time I felt anxious or nervous. I found that five minutes were better than no minutes, and, in a pinch, even one minute would suffice. 
Could it really be this easy to incorporate yoga into my hectic life? Could I count this as practice? Did yoga have to be a separate part of my life? The day I answered no to that last question was the day I started living my yoga. I now use every chance I get to sneak a little yoga in, no matter where or how busy I am. A little yoga is definitely better than no yoga. I think that when we start studying yoga, we tend to focus on what we can't do rather than on what we can do. We see the pictures in magazines and websites of svelte yogis in impossibly difficult positions and forget that yoga is not about doing the difficult, but about doing something good for ourselves. 